Hello everyone, my name is JT Wistrasil and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands Podcast. On today's show, we're going to be going over some massive news in the NFL and a state of every team in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to a minute on what I've thought of each team, each of the 15 teams in the Eastern Conference so far this season. And also my big takeaway at the very end will be NFL related, so I hope you'll stick around for that. So, but as I alluded to, let's start off with that big NFL news. And that would be J.J. Watt to the Cardinals on a two-year deal worth $31 million and $23 million guaranteed. This came as a huge shocker to everyone. One, myself included, of course. I thought the team like the Steelers were the slam dunk locks. When you also throw in teams like the Bills were thought to be the front runners, Titans, Packers, even the Colts and the Browns, like all these teams that were like, oh, they're the much more likely ones. And then out of nowhere, JJ Watt tweets out sources and he's got the Cardinals shirt on doing the squat. So give JJ credit for going out, not letting it slip to anyone, breaking it himself, and of course getting his bag. And let's go into what that bag is this time around in the form of this new contract. So he has a base of twenty-eight base salary of twenty-eight million dollars for two years. He can get to thirty-one million with sack incentives, and also it's fourteen point five million in twenty twenty-one and thirteen point five million in twenty twenty-two. So personally. Yes, I think it's a slight overpay for what J.J. Watt is at this point, but that's a personal opinion. I thought he was, I think he's worth that 10 to 12 range. I just think it's just a lot of money. I don't know if he was worth the, just the exact, I don't think giving him a two-year deal worth 31 million. I personally wouldn't have done it, but he's still going to come in and do a lot of really good things. But enough of what I think of the contract. Let's talk about what Watt did last year. He played all 16 games for Houston. He had five sacks, two forced fumbles, 14 tackles for loss, 17 quarterback hits. So it was a down year for him in almost every single one of those categories. So is he tailing off? Maybe a little bit, but the people at Pro Football Focus don't think he is as he was their seventh highest grade edge defender. Now, I am not someone who looks at Pro Football Focus stats and say, oh, these numbers are the end all, the be all. But I do respect the people over there and the work they do. So I do think it's noteworthy that they're still like, no, this guy was still really good. And it does go to show you that JJ still definitely has something left in the tank. And let's go into why maybe from why so why pro football focus liked him, we can go into that, but I really want to focus on why the numbers are down and why I think it's more on the organization and the situation around him than the player that JJ is at this point in his career. So he was really the only guy from a pass rush standpoint teams were worried about. Guys like Ross Blacklock, their first round D-tackle, he didn't do that much. Charles Aminihu is still so young. And Whitney Merciless, I just most importantly, he's the guy he just didn't pop as much to me this year when I watched him. I think he's really t- fallen off more so than a guy like JJ has. I know he's a pillar in that community. Whitney is down in that Houston community. He's done such a great job throughout his career, but he's just not the same guy. So teams were really able to load up on Watt and make sure he wasn't as effective. And I think you could see that in the lack of sack production that teams were able to double him. Even when they tried to move J.J. inside, it didn't matter. Teams were always keying in, and they know what a game record he is. Also, something else we know about the Texans, none of these pass rushers benefited from getting coverage sacks because this secondary was one of the worst in the NFL. So that definitely hurt J.J. It's the ability the offense had to get the ball out quickly because guys were getting open almost instantly. So it makes it very tough on a pass rusher. Pass rusher and secondary play obviously go hand in hand and the Texans weren't very good in either of those aspects. And some of that is on JJ for sure. And like I said, that's why I think it's a slight overpay because I think he's only going to continue to decline a little bit, but he's still a really good player and still one of the 
oh, off the top of my head, 20 best defensive ends in the NFL, I'll say. I think it's a little rich, the contract, but he's still a really good player. So how does he fit along this defensive line? Well, let's talk about it. The first thing is I like the versatility they offer. When you have guys like Zach Allen, Lecky Fotu, Rashad Lawrence, all the guys they've drafted, these are all guys who can play as defensive, true defensive tackles or nose tackles, or maybe even like three, four defensive ends. So just bigger defensive ends, basically, next to some outside linebackers. I like these guys. But the big prize when we're talking about the Cardinals defensive tackle group would be Jordan Phillips. Phillips is the heaviest player with at least nine sacks. He had in NFL history, actually, in NFL history. He had that in 2019. He set that record. He's and he's just a handful for offensive lines. I mean, this dude is 6'6", 341 pounds. So Phillips is a really intimidating, imposing player. It's going to go right through your offensive line if you don't commit two guys to him. Now, he had a down year this past year after dealing with injuries. And I'm sure he struggles with weight a little bit, seeing as he is such a big man at 6'6", 341, as I just talked about. So things I think I can help Phillips, and actually this goes for JJ too, so let's talk about that, is the depth of this defensive line. I just alluded to those guys. They're going to bring in some more free agents as well. They can keep these guys guys fresh, rotating them in and out. And I think a guy like Phillips, who in only nine starts that year in Buffalo he had when he had those nine sacks, I think that would be big, is if they had guys they could cycle in and out a lot. So guys like Phillips and Watt at this point in his career could be fresh on those pass rushing downs. But of course, these defensive tackles won't be the only guys, as they will be flanked by some dudes on the outside. So who's going to be helping them out on the outside? Well, the big one is obviously Chandler Jones, but I don't want to talk about him. I want to focus on Hassan Reddick, who's actually a free agent, but I think they can bring him back for cheap. Now, you may look at the 12 sacks and think, oh, what a number, 12 sacks. He's a dominant edge defender. But honestly, I think that doesn't tell the full picture of the story. He had five against the Giants, and that offensive line was awful. Even if you want to give him a sack or two, I totally understand. But that still puts him under 10 sacks for the season and only seven and a half sacks for the season if we just take that game out entirely. I recognize that's not fair, so I'm willing to give him a sack or two. But I still, I just think he's an, I don't think he's a 10 sack per year player. I think last year was a little more of an aberration. Now, I could be wrong. And a guy I was wrong about this with was Bud Dupree. I thought Bud Dupree, I would be like, I'd be nervous about paying that guy. He's only had one year of elite production. And then this past year, he proves it. He suffers the devastating injury. But you're like, damn, this is the player that he was supposed to be. And he's showing it. I think that's what the Cardinals should do with Hassan Reddick, maybe. Maybe they franchise tag him, try to bring him back for cheap, and see if this last year was an aberration or if it's just the next step in his evolution as a player, which it very well could be. So I would bring Hassan Reddick back. I still think he's a really good player and awesome as your number three pass rusher, potentially even number four, depending on the form Phillips gets back to. And I think that'd still be a good move for them to bring him back. I just don't want to overpay for him like crazy because I don't think he's this crazy great pass rusher by any stretch of the imagination. But of course, he is not the big prize and the big player JJ will be teaming up next to. That is Chandler Jones. You guys have heard the stats. He has the most sacks in the NFL since the most sacks in the NFL since 2012 are Chandler Jones 1 at 97, JJ Watt number 2 at 95 and a half. Also, total pressures since 2012. JJ Watt is number 4 at 625, Chandler Jones has 517. That combines for 1,142 pressures, and that's the most among active pass rushing duos. So, could look at this in a few different ways. Does it show this duo is, number one, it shows how great of players they used to be, obviously, but the number two is, it's still, they're, they've been dominating the NFL for a long time, so it's natural to think they're going to start falling off a little bit. And Jones did suffer the injury last year. We never know how guys return from injuries in general, so that will definitely be something interesting to monitor. But either way, Jones is a 15-plus-per-year sack player when healthy, 
And I honestly think he can get back to that form. Like I said, I'm nervous about the injuries, but I expect him to be back. He's still at a good place place in his career. He's been dominating. He had the mantra, which always I was always annoyed, like Chandler Jones is the most underrated player in the NFL. When everyone knows that he's the... When everyone's first answer for the most underrated player in the NFL is Chandler Jones. Are you really underrated? I don't think so. And I, yes, the first few of those years, he wasn't getting his due credit. But now that has shifted. I think he's gotten his credit the last few years. But anyway, he's a fantastic player off the edge. He uses his arms so well. He's got great bend. He can play the run or the pass and even drop in coverage when they need to. So... What I'm getting at is, yes, I think Chandler Jones is still this team's best defensive lineman, or I know he's technically an outside linebacker, but we group those guys in, we know. So Chandler Jones is this be- is their best defensive lineman, and I think that's something that's appealing to Watt. I just talked about in Houston, he was the guy who's getting doubled constantly. In Arizona, that's not going to be the case. Teams are going to be trying to double Chandler, and Watt's going to have more opportunities to eat. He's never been the secondary pass rush guy. Even when they had Jadeveon Clowney, teams knew J.J. Watt was the guy. And at this point in his career, he's not that guy anymore. So I think it's really helpful for him to line up next to a guy like Chandler Jones. And just in general, let's group them all together. Jones, Watt, Phillips, and Reddick. Those guys, those four together, because on I think on pass rushing downs, they're going to kick Watt inside. That's their most effective four is these guys are going to be able to get at the quarterback at one of the best rates, if not the best in the NFL. If these guys all hit the potential of what they've shown in the past, or even Watt, who's not going to be exactly his past self, can still be the really good player that earned that seventh highest grade edge defenders, this will be one of the best defensive lines in the NFL and will truly be able to get after the passer in an elite level. So I'm really excited to see what J.J. does in Houston. I think he's still a really elite run defender, and I think that's something that'll really help in Arizona, his leadership. That defense committed a lot of penalties last year in Arizona, so I think that's another thing that'll really add to them. It's just another voice in the locker room says, hey, this is how you get things done. We know he's a guy who can step up in big moments. He's going to benefit from getting the most one-on-one opportunities he's had in his entire career, and if there's one thing that we know for sure, it's JJ is going to work his butt off to get in shape and get ready and prove people wrong like myself, who thinks he's had a little little bit of a decline. He wants everyone to think, no, he's still in his prime. We know great athletes always find a way to motivate themselves. And for Watt, hearing some, obviously he won't hear this, but there are people in the media who are like, oh, he's overpaid, just like I just said, that he's going to use that as motivation. And I think come back and still have a really strong year. So I'm really excited to see what Watt does in Arizona. And I think they could be a really good team. But there's a reason I said think. If I had to peg them right now, I would have them as the fourth seed still. Now, they're a good team, but there is an issue. Just like the Texans did last year, this is another problem that Watt's team's going to have. I don't think this, I think this team's going to struggle in coverage. Yes, Buda Baker's amazing. Byron Murphy's a nice corner. More than likely, they're going to lose Patrick Peterson and replace him with a rookie. I don't expect a rookie to even do what Patrick Peterson did last year. Peterson, it wasn't the nine-time Pro Bowl corner he was, or eight-time, whatever the amazing streak he was on this last year that he was earlier in his career, but he's still a really good corner, so they're going to miss him. And the other big thing I'm concerned about, that's my only real concern with is the corners for the defense, is offensively, number one, I don't think this team's run game is going to be very good. And I, I'm not sold on Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not. Yes, he does some nice things. I thought teams figured out his offense towards the end of the year, and he didn't adjust. So because of that, right now, I have them in fourth. Now, I will also say this. I do think this is Russell Wilson's last year on this, in Seattle. I think he stays one more year. It's still $39 million cap charge. I think they're still going to be able to tolerate each other for one more year. Then he'll bolt. So then after that, they'll definitely move ahead of them. And they're going to be able to knock around Russell Wilson. That's for sure. But I just think he'll make the player too. 
And I trust their coaches, obviously, a lot more than I cut than I trust some of these other coaches when I'm talking about Seattle. I still think Pete Carroll's a really good head coach, then I'm going to side with them over some of these other NFL teams. But it's going to be fun to watch. And as for the 49ers, I should say, because I think that'll be the big one everyone's banging the drums for, is what about the 49ers? They're better than the 49ers. I The 49ers, the, my only big weakness for them is, and yeah, they could get better at corner, but even the other guys. I think their cornerback room overall, even right now, is a little better than Arizona's. Is I trust Kyle Shanahan so much. I know Jimmy Garoppolo's not great, but he's a system quarterback. And with that system quarterback, they made it to a Super Bowl. And we know that there's, this team is so good in the trenches. They're well coached. I think they're going to be able to replace Sala all right, keep a similar defense in place. I'm still really high on the 49ers and think, barring health, they probably wouldn't have been a playoff team this year, which would have been interesting to see. And we got two more things to hit on with this JJ thing. Number one, I'm calling I'm calling BS on two things. Number one, JJ, I understood that you're going to say like, oh, I saw an opportunity to win here. And of course, it's not that hard to convince yourself that in the near future, a team led with a special quarterback as Kyler Murray could be in the playoffs. I don't see this team winning the division, but I wouldn't be dead shocked if they were if they somehow were to win it. I, it's in the realm of possibilities, and I think it's very likely there could even be a wild card team. But the biggest reason JJ came to this team, I think, is because they offered the most money. So yes, I don't believe the reports that the Colts and Browns offered more money. And if they did, it was one of those things like it was maybe one million more, thousands more. I have a hard time believing people were offering JJ Watt. $20 million. Diana Rossini was the one who reported that teams were willing to offer that $16, $17 million per year kind of money, which is very similar to what Watt signed for. So I just think if it was a more, it was a little bit more, nothing drastic. And now the other last thing I wanted to hit on when talking about JJ is this whole Jersey retirement thing. So Marshall Goldberg was their fullback, the Cardinals fullback, who played from 1940 to 1948 with the Cardinals. He wore number 99. His daughter said, I'm going to let JJ use the number, and JJ has already agreed he's going to give to charity because they did this. So it's a really cool reason. So a lot of people are like, if players can just unretire their jerseys, why do we retire them at all? Well, obviously, number one, you retire them because the players are extremely special in what they did. It's a cool way to honor them. And to unretire a jersey like this is only for an extremely rare aberration when a player as talented and as great as J.J. Watt, who we all know is going to be in Canton one day, comes to your team for a few years, you say, yes, we can give him 99. I don't think anyone expects the Cardinals to be retiring J.J. Watt's jersey one day because of what he does in Arizona. He's a nice piece to this team, but he will not be the sole reason they have success. So I just always get fed up with the jersey retirement stuff. Like, why do we retire if you can just unretire it? Well, you retire because it's a great honor and it's the family's choice for one specific or two specific in a couple years, whatever it is, generational type talent players join your team. That's a pretty cool thing. So I think that's the big point there, but I'm very excited to see what JJ is going to do with the Cardinals. Now let's shift over to something else. As I mentioned, going to do a state of the Eastern Conference, give you a little quick hit on every single NBA team, kind of what I've thought of them as the season has gone on. And let's start out with the very with the bottom of the conferences, of course, the Detroit Pistons, ten and twenty-six. I think it's progressing good for the Pistons in this regard. It is great for them that they have such a bad, they have a bad record. They want a really good pick. It's disappointing you haven't seen what you like out of Killian Hayes, but even guys like Josh Jackson, Dennis Smith Jr. have been nice mid-season pickups for this team. And a guy in Jeremy Grant, I think, 
is a good trade asset. Honestly, I think they'd be able to trade him for a year or two because he is at least making it look like, hey, I'm worth $20 million. I don't think it's $20 million that contributes to winning, but either way, it's going pretty good for the Pistons in terms of the draft pick. At 14, disappointingly, is the Orlando Magic. This team is ravaged by injuries. Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac heard in the bubble, Markel Fultz earlier this year, Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier, all have missed substantial time. Glad to see Chima Ukiki finally healthy and giving this team minutes, but the big takeaway is, of course, Vucic. Vucevic, who has continued to absolute ball this season, one of the best centers in the league. Love the way he gets after it. I am happy he was an all-star. I kind of went over last week. I would have pulled him out for some of those other guys, but still a great player nonetheless. The Cavs, 14-22 and 22 at this point in 13th place. Loved Colin Sexton. I think he's one of those. He was a guy. He wasn't going to make the all-star team, but his he was deserving of consideration for the numbers he was putting up. They're good. Jared Allen coming over. Loved what I've seen from him so far. Darius Garland, too. Just the development, the future of this team is what I'm really excited about. And they've just, they're well coached. They got nice role players. I like watching this Cavs team and I've loved the development of Sexton to this point. At number 12, or 12 from the conference, is the Washington Wizards at 14 and 20. Wizards started the season awfully and then rattled off, I believe it was seven or eight wins in a row. Westbrook started to hit his stride. Rui Hachimura getting back healthy was big. Denny shifted to the bench. They've had Davis Bertons has finally got hot. And, of course, Bradley Beal leads the NBA in scoring. So give this team credit for fighting their way back into it when they were in the, the bottom and the dumps of this conference. Now, this is where it gets interesting because you have 11th is the Hawks, and they're 16, and they're only three games out technically of the fourth-seeded Celtics, who the Hawks have are 16-20, and 20, the Celtics are 19-17. But let's focus on those Hawks. Of course, they fired Lord P- Lloyd Pierce. I thought it was a good move because of the riffs we were hearing in the locker room. Doesn't sound like you got along with Trey Young. Didn't get along with Cam Reddish. When you don't get along with guys like, especially Trey, obviously, who's your franchise player, he's got to go. Lloyd is a, was a pillar in that community and did great things. But at the end of the day, the NBA is a business, and the business of winning basketball, it's just not something Lloyd Pierce has done. So good decision to fire him. I'll also say, though, I don't think he was dealt the fairest card in terms of his roster being healthy because Gallinari's missed a ton of time. Okongwu's missed a ton of time. What's his name? Bogdanovich has missed almost the entire season for them. They've dealt with all kinds of injuries, and I still really like Trey Young. I'm stunned he wasn't in the All-Star game. Still am with the season he's having, but this team has underperformed, but I attribute that mostly to injuries. At number 10, we have the Indiana Pacers, who have fallen off a little bit after their hot start after they traded away Victor Oladipo, surprisingly. I think a lot of people expect them to still be good. Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis are both having stellar years, but just some of the other guys in the depths of this team, I don't think they're very deep. Also, they play very big. Sabonis in today's NBA is a five, so I think that does present some challenges for this team, and it's why they're struggling a little bit right now. Also, it's kind of funny these two teams are connected, because I should say, I never thought the Pacers should should have fired Nate McMillan. I thought he was a really good head coach, and I honestly think he's going to do such a good job with the Hawks that this Hawks team is going to be say, hey, we got our next head coach in-house, and they're going to re-sign McMillan, and he's going to be the Hawks head coach going forward. So I'm just a big Nate McMillan fan, so I wanted to get that in there. At number nine, we have the Bulls in the conference, who are 16 and 18. So the Bulls, Zach Levine, has been awesome, but let's talk about Laurie Markkinen a little bit. Markkinen's been really good this year. He shot it really well from three, shot it efficiently from the field in general, and is averaging just under or just around that 19 points per game. So been impressed by his development, and Wendell Carter's been better too. I, the depth, this is another team with some depth issues, a lot of young guards who haven't panned out. And I'm not even, Colby White's not a young guard who hasn't panned out, but I don't think him and Zach Levine fit better. And until they make a change like that, they're not going to be able to enter this top eight in the playoff race. So let's shift into that playoff race and the top eight of the Eastern Conference. At number eight, we have the Raptors at 17 and 19, who have successfully crawled their way 
back into this playoff race. Started out the year bad, but then Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, those guys have picked it up and helped this team get back. Also missing OG Ananobi for large chunks of the year has hurt this team, as he's been really good when healthy. It will be interesting to see if this team trades Kyle Lowry before the March 25th NBA trade deadline, but if he stays, they're a playoff lock to me. Could still make it without him, but with him staying, they will stay in the playoff race. This next team would be the biggest surprise of the teams in the playoffs if it wasn't for the fifth seed that we're going to get to in a second. At number seven is the Charlotte Hornets. I think the biggest reason for this team's success has been Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. I think those guys have been trading off nights where they are super successful. Devontae Graham has been down this year, but LaMelo Ball has been everything as advertised and more as a rookie, a wizard with the ball in his hands and does so many great things. P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, James Borrego has done a great job coaching this team, and they are fun to watch. And got to give Scary Terry some credit, making the Celtics potentially regret letting him go. At number six, we have the Heat. Biggest reason I think the Heat have been struggling is injuries as well. Why they're not higher up is when Jimmy Butler's played, they've been awesome. When he's been hurt, they haven't been good. Jimmy Butler's, some of his stretches he's been on as of lately have been super impressive. He was another guy I think if he played enough games would have definitely been an all-star. And also I love Bam Adebayo. Went over him before how great of a player he is. And this team, there's a lot of, there was a lot of turnover. They lost a lot of their bench and depth guys too. And with missing a key like Jimmy Butler is why this Heat team finds themselves in sixth place to me. And now moving on to number fifth, we got the surprise seed, fifth seed of a long time, I, as long as I can remember in the NBA. It's the New York Knicks right now, who have a winning record at 19 and 18. It's insane. Julius Randle has been balling. R.J. Barrett has sh- taken stats from really good. Emmanuel Quigley, the Derrick Rose trade has paid out well for them. Tom Thibodeau has to be the front runner for coach of the year. This team plays hard every single night. They've been pretty good on offense too. Even guys like Reggie Bullock revitalizing his career. Got to give a ton of credit to the Knicks and how hard they've played this season. Absolutely earned this spot. And it would be a great story if they ended up in this playoff hunt. Now, at number four, we have the Celtics. The Celtics are 19-17. So they're the four seed, but they feel disappointing because they're only two games over 500. And in fact, if they were in the West, which I will say, I'm going to do the Western Conference next week, just so you guys know. So this week, stay at the Eastern Conference. Next week, stay at the Western Conference. So if they were in the West, the Celtics wouldn't even be in the playoffs, which obviously also says something for all the other teams. I just went over in these standings because if they were in the West, they wouldn't even be near these spots. But for the Celtics, Jalen and Jason have been carrying. It's nice to see Kemba start to play better right as the all star break hit getting Marcus Smart back for them is going to be huge and I think watch for them to make a trade because they're relying on a lot of young guys right now as their depth who are not performing up to the playoff and honestly championship aspirations that a team with two players as good as Jalen and Jason are should be having especially the great coach like Brad Stevens too at a disappointing number three in terms of what they've done in the past years is the Milwaukee Bucks. It is a slightly down year for the Bucks, but I think that's okay because as I've said before, I think this team is a better playoff team than regular season with the addition of Drew Holiday. Speaking of Holiday, he's the reason they lost some of these games too, is he wasn't available in playing. They got some new guys in there depth-wise to work out the kinks and figure out, but Giannis and Middleton are both incredible players still, and I'm not reading too much into this team's regular season struggles because I think... They're going to be a better playoff team. At number two, we have the Brooklyn Nets. 
They've been amazing at 24 and 13. I think James Harden has entered the MVP race with the spectacular play he's had over the last week. Becoming a true point guard for this Nets team has done wonders for him. Kyrie's been balling. When KD's healthy, we know what he can do too. He's been special. Love this Nets team. I think they're big players in the buyout market. A lot of rumors for Blake Griffin. If that does happen, I'm going to talk about that next week as well. So really impressed with this Brooklyn team and the job Steve Nash has done in his first year. I think both New York head coaches, you could argue, should be one and two in Coach of the Year voting with the job these guys have done. But of course, at number one is the Philadelphia 76ers. When we're talking about the Sixers, it's Embiid's MVP tear right now. If the As much as I'm a LeBron guy, I am. I'm a true LeBron fan. I think you got to give it to Embiid right now. He's been the best player in the NBA's regular season up to this point. Ben Simmons making a case for Defensive Player of the Year. Tobias Harris having the best year of his career. Doc Rivers, another guy you could argue for Coach of the Year. Coming over from Philly, coming over from the Clippers. The transition has been absolutely seamless. I think he's done a really good job over there. Guys like Seth Curry and Danny Green, who aren't always the most consistent, but still offer him something. Same thing with Shake Milton, too. I really like him off the bench. Even a Dwight Howard. This team is fun. And I've been really impressed with the job they did. They were a team like, could they be the one seed? Maybe. Well, as to this point, they have one of the best records in the NBA, so you got to give them a lot of credit. And I'm really excited to see what this team does in the postseason. And that's how we'll really evaluate them. But until that day comes, you just got to go off the regular season. And they've had a great regular season as of so far. That's going to do it for the state of every Eastern Conference team. And as I said, next week I'll be discussing the Western Conference, the state of all of those 15 teams as well, to round out the halfway point of the NBA so far. And speaking of the halfway point, of course the All-Star Game is coming up. Don't know if I'm going to talk about it next week or not. Maybe the slam dunk or three-point contest if they're entertaining. It's a disappointing dunk contest field. Yes, Simon's is a young, exciting backup point guard. Cassius Stanley, I guess he's a fun dunker. I watched him a little bit at Duke and... He's been disappointed. He was a second-round pick, so I don't think many people expected much out of him, but it's just kind of a no-name guy to have in the dunk contest. Most people think he's going to win. I'm going to stick with Obi Toppin, the biggest name of the dunk contest field to me. Maybe it's Simons, but I really like Toppin coming out of the draft. I think he's a spectacular player. Won National Player of the Year last year at Dayton and can really throw it down. But I'm hoping it's entertaining despite lacking in big names. It's too bad Zion didn't play, but either way, hope it'll still be an entertaining contest but shifting off potential stuff let's talk about another thing that is in the near future but relating to the NFL and that is what my big takeaway for the NFL is going to be we are going to see roster cuts of players at an unprecedented level and let's get into why that is Diana Rossini who give her a lot of credit for breaking the JJ she didn't break the JJ Watt stuff but she was the first reporter I saw to say the 16 to 17 million dollar per year deal that Watt was going to be getting from a few teams, and then he ended up signing for. Not that she reported that exactly, but those were the numbers. She was the one in the ballpark with those numbers, and the closest one by far. But so this is another tweet from Rossini. This was she said on a text with an on a text she received from an NFL head coach about upcoming cuts and what he is, expects. This is a quote from this unnamed head coach. It's going to be a massacre next week all around the league. He was of, He's talking about this coming week and the week after as teams prep for free agency, which I believe is March 17th. So it's going to be crazy with the NFL's cap number shrinking. So the 2021 cap number is only going to be at $185 million. That is a huge $10 million, actually, I actually believe, decrease from what it is. And also, that $185 million is the most it could be at. More than likely, it's going to be more around $180 million. And just look at the salary cap space of all these different NFL teams, and you'll see what a big difference is $5 million is for these teams being under or over the cap. And speaking of those teams over the cap, there are currently 11 teams 
over the cap in the NFL right now. With my favorite of that bunch, the Saints, who we know have started roster cuts galore and even restructures, they, are, they were over $65 million of the cap when the new league year be, began. Now they've restructured and done other things to get them closer to that number, but they are still looking at quite a hefty luxury tax bill. Now, let's talk about a few of those guys who got cut already, and I think what we're going to see to come is in more of these cuts as well. So first, let's start about the big first big domino to fall was Kyle Van Noy of the Dolphins. The Dolphins signed Van Noy to a four-year, $51 million deal just last offseason. They did structure it so they could get out of it after one year for only 50 after a one-year $15 million, they structured it in a way where the cap hit's not going to be massive. They're going to, by releasing him, they save up to, they save $12 million in cash value. And he didn't have a great season last year, but either way, it's just kind of crazy to think that they just signed this guy, and then a year later, they're moving off of him. It was a little bit of down year, but he's still a nice player. Why'd they have to do it? Because of the situation in the NFL with the cap. This wasn't even a team that was really over the cap, but I think it's a team that wanted to still be decently under it so they could be a players in free agency with a hefty salary like Van Noy, that wasn't going to be possible. So you see a guy like Van Noy be a casualty despite being a captain for this Dolphins team and a pillar in the locker room. And speaking of pillars in organizations, how about Kyle Rudolph? He got cut from the Minnesota Vikings after spending almost, I believe it was 10 years. Yeah, they spent 10 seasons together. That's an unprecedented number in the NFL with the way we see turnover. To see non-quarterbacks spend 10 years with one team is really impressive. And Rudolph, of course, had an incredible career. He was fifth in in the franchise for receptions and first in tight end touchdown catches. His impact on Minnesota was also incredible. But just another guy, he was making $8 million, and they have some other tight ends and Irv Smith and Tyler Coughlin who are like, these guys are better for what we need, so we're going to pay them. So those are two huge guys, pillars in the locker room, leaders that get cut because of cash. And we talked about 11 million teams over the cap, so it's going to be a lot of it. There are going to be a ton of really good veteran players who may be not worth the exact amount of money they were on their previous contract, but once they're cut, teams are going to be lining up off the wazoo to sign because these guys are big-time players still that can make impacts on championship teams. So when you see all these guys get released, it's going to be madness because there's going to be so many teams vying for them. And more than likely, these veterans are going to have to take cheap deals because that's all these teams are going to offer. So who's this going to affect these cheap deals? I think even some of these teams that are over the cap are really going to benefit from some of these cuts to me because they're attractive destinations. When you have a guy get cut and he's looking around the league like, I can't chase money. I might as well try to win a ring. Who are the teams that benefit? To me, it's the Buccaneers, of course, because they just won the Super Bowl. The Rams, who I look as look at as a really good contender. I think the Chiefs are another one. The Ravens, the Bills, the Browns. I think all these ones are the most competitive one. I'll throw the Packers in there as well. These are teams that you look at like these are Super Bowl contenders. And these veteran, really good players who get cut, I think will be looking to join some of these contending teams like that and see an opportunity to win big. But either way, it's going to be madness around the NFL, and I'm excited to see how it unfolds because I think we're going to see a lot of roster movement and cuts, different signings. It's just going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. And the NFL offseason, as it becomes more and more like the NBA offseason, gets more exciting. So that's going to do it for my show today. I'll be back next week, as I said, talking about the state of every Western Conference team. Also hit on some of that Big Ben news because I know he was just released. And talk about Blake Griffin and his buyout. Gave it $13 million just to get out of Detroit. Man, that's a lot of money. He shows you how bad he wanted to get out of there and try to win a ring as his career comes winding down since he hasn't even dunked this season. Just a crazy number. But either way, thank you guys as always for listening. And I look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Signing off.